Hello, everybody. It's time for a relaxing Q&A hangout with an art professor. If you would like to grow as an artist and you can't afford an art class, we've got everything you need here at Art Prof. Critiques, tutorials, professional development, and workshops. <laughs> Great way to kick off our Q&A. Tell me, everybody, in the chat. How was your week? By the way, I'm going to New York City next week. There's gonna be a lot of cool places I'm gonna be going to. For example, the Complete Sculptor, which is a amazing sculpture supply store. I spent so much time there when I was a graduate student searching for all of these resins and casting and look what I bought. Very exciting. I'm going to work on a portrait bust and I'm going to make a silicone rubber mold, one that's poured, and then I'm going to cast them in resin. And people have been asking me about this technique for so long. And now I think I'm finally going to do a miniature version. It's Somebody wanted to sponsor a whole bunch of videos. Oh goodness, I could do a plaster waste mold. There's so much mold making we could do together. But the consequence is that resin and casting mold making, it's just number one expensive. The supplies are not cheap. And number two, very complicated and time consuming to explain. Because I have seen stuff online where people are doing casting stuff. But I think the difficulty is there aren't any tutorials that are super comprehensive where a person with absolutely no experience at all could do it from that tutorial. Because when I think about the amount of information that it would take to make a tutorial like that, it, it hurts my head because, oh my gosh, it's like, printmaking, but even more complicated. And let me tell you guys, that woodcut tutorial, I'm so glad we made it, but it kind of killed me. It was so much work because I just really didn't want to release a tutorial that didn't have everything you needed. But the thing is when you really explain things, oh gosh, it takes forever. And so someday maybe we'll have the budget to make some more comprehensive casting videos. And I thought to myself, well, at the very least, I can just produce a couple shorts. And maybe those more complex sculpture tutorials are for, I don't know, when Mackenzie Davis, is that her last name? Jeff Bezos's ex-wife. I need to get on her radar or something like that. Yeah, Shasta, New York City is up next. And I do have a list of various places I want to go. If anybody has any suggestions, places in New York City that you could be think could be helpful for our content, I can tell you I'm definitely going to MoMA and the Met with Deep D. Art Supply Store is definitely the Complete Sculptor. I'm hoping to go to Guerra Paint which is where Lauren gets a lot of her paints. She just recently did a short about manganese brown. And I'm hoping that I might be able to get to Kremer Pigment. I haven't looked into them as much, so I have to do a little bit of research before I go, but I'm so excited <laughs> because let's just say Salt Lake City doesn't really hold a candle to New York City in terms of arts and culture. Oh, I'm so glad you made it, Paige. And also Blue Wren here on time. Hi, Louise. Louise gave us a whole bunch of art supplies. So thank you so much, Louise, for doing that because it's so valuable for our staff to have those options. Anna says is a really good museum at the new museum. I have to take a look at the museum listings because I actually have not had time to do that, but I am definitely going to get on top of that soon. And I have a bunch of friends I'd like to see as well. 
Some people have been asking about a hangout. I'm not totally sure. It's a little bit complicated because I have some family things to do in New York. So I may not be able to get to all the things that I would like to do. But let us know how your week has been. Like Ginger had an opening for group exhibition. That's so exciting. Judy Chicago. Ugh, I need to clone myself. That's the only way any of this is going to happen. <laughs> so Janice says, I used oil-based clay, then molding is done with composite mold, then cast with plaster of Paris or sometimes resin, but the whole process is so stressful. Worried about the cost, worried about failure. Yeah, th this is one area with casting. You really have to know what you're doing because... Whenever I've had casting projects go wrong, they go really wrong where it's unsalvageable. An example would be, there was somebody in my graduate school, he was doing a plaster waste mold. It's all plaster. You don't use resin or silicone or anything like that. And he mixed his plaster incorrectly. It was too thin. And so he had a clay sculpture, okay? And he put the plaster over the clay to make the waste mold. But because the plaster didn't set, number one, he didn't have a mold. And number two, the whole reason it's called waste mold is because you waste away the actual clay piece. So the process, the way it works is that you have to destroy your clay piece in the process. But because his mold was bad, he also lost the sculpture. He lost everything. <laughs> that just is the worst thing. I've cast pieces with resin where there was some sort of leak that I didn't plug. And so you're pouring the resin and just to your horror, you see the resin seep out. It's so awful. Oh my gosh. And the resin and the rubber silicone, it's expensive. That stuff is not cheap. In fact, you can see back there that there's my box of resin and silicone. I have not opened it yet because you bet there's going to be an unboxing video. But yeah, if you don't have supervision or the right information, Casting is one of those things, I think if you had a really good tutorial, somebody could do it, but they'd probably have to watch the tutorial 18 times to make sure they knew what was happening. But ideally, casting is one of those things where I really, really think you need supervision because there's just so many things that can go wrong and sometimes it's fixable and sometimes it's not. So that's why when people ask me about casting and resin and silicone, I usually say don't do it because it's just so difficult. You need so much expertise at so many different levels to make that happen. Let me know in the chat, what do you want to pick my brain about? Because that's what we're here for is some time to chill out and just think about those random questions that come into your mind. Because ultimately, while yes, we have a million videos for everything. When it comes down to it, there's no tutorial that's going to answer everything for you, which is why I don't think AI is going to replace me in terms of my educational content. Although I think James Gurney recently fed some questions, or did he set up some AI Q&A where you could type into his website and it would spit out the James Gurney version of AI. I think I saw a short that he did about that. I don't have the headspace right now to set up something like that, but it would be very funny to see because we do have a lot of content out on the internet. So maybe it would be easier for it to do. But ask me those little weird questions that don't get answered in a tutorial, because when it comes down to it, that customized feedback is extremely important because I love what we can get from looking at stuff online. It's incredible, blows my mind what's available to people now. 
But at the same time, there is a limit you hit when you're learning online by yourself and you're not getting any feedback. That only goes so far. And so you need to be able to ask those questions. You need to be able to find out this one specific thing that's bothering you and have somebody look at it and tell you what's wrong with it. Because self-critique is really hard. I know some people feel they can do it. I guess I do, but I sometimes do it to a really unhealthy <laughs> degree. <laughs> and Paige is painting a sickle cell clinic at a local children's hospital. That's wonderful. And Harold is asking, how do you know when you're ready to make an art comeback? getting back to posting art and social media, promoting work. I've taken a break for months and it's pretty intimidating to return. One thing to remember, anytime you put your art in a place where it has public visibility, one thing you have going for you if you don't have tons and tons of followers is that a lot of people are not looking that closely. <laughs> and I mean that as a positive thing because a lot of people tell me they're worried about starting social media and, oh, what if it looks bad? And I say to them, listen, most people are not looking right now. And there's a freedom to that because you can just mess around and you know that not that many people are gonna see it. Our channel is big enough. Oh boy, I hear about everything. <laughs> I hear about Clara, you misspelled this. There's a typo here. I'm like, yes, I know. I'm working on it. And I love that we have a big community. But the flip side of that is there is a lot of scrutiny because a lot of people are looking at what you make. And so I would just say that if you remember that, it just makes everything feel a lot less pressure to function under. Because I know people feel that way about social media. And then the other thing I would say, Harold, is before you go back, you might want to ask yourself, what am I trying to do here? Am I trying to connect with a certain group of people? Am I using Instagram because I want to keep myself accountable? Maybe you want to try to make sure that you're making work and you have some documentation of that. Because I do think oftentimes people go on social media without any goal. And I think having even just one that's fairly loose is very helpful. Because I think when you just go on social media and you just post, and you don't really know why you're posting or who you're trying to reach, that's usually when it actually becomes very confusing for a lot of people. And by the way, everybody, if you are looking for a way to stay accountable, from a selfish point of view, <laughs> the Open Studios Club that we just started, I'm getting so much work done, work that I never would have touched. And guess what? Everybody who's in our Discord gets one free session. And so the free session is everybody can join in the Discord and we work together and you have the opportunity to speak to me on voice and get support, but there is no pressure to speak on voice. I know some people come to Open Studios Club and they just listen and work. They don't speak on voice, but sometimes they will type to me a question or post their artwork for me to critique. And we've been having such a blast in Open Studios Club. So remember, you all get one free session if you're in the Discord. And if you're not in the Discord, you better go because that's where all the cool kids hang out. And aren't you tired of not being one of the cool kids? So join us. We have openings next week, Monday and Thursday. Lauren will be running the Thursday session. I will be doing the Monday session. But I feel I'm very inspired and stimulated after this, hearing all the conversations. So take a look at that. And 7A says, what do you do when you hate all of your thumbnails but have to get something done? It's hard. And I almost think that you have to get to that point. Because if you don't get to that point, it's almost like you haven't pushed yourself enough to do those thumbnails. And I did have that point in those beef thumbnails that I put together were just everything looked dumb to me. You know that feeling? I'll show you. I had done 
I think I did brainstorming for three nights. I really wish I'd spent more time on it, but let me show everybody where I was at the beginning. Here we go. Okay. Do you guys see this thumbnail? This thumbnail's bad because it's the most literal version. It's like, okay, two people with their steering wheel, they are doing their thing, road rage. And I knew it was bad. I was very, very frustrated. And th this one was supposed to be them tied up with seat belts, which I didn't end up using, but not like this. This looks more like a web, but you know something, what did it for me, honestly, was looking at some more reference photos. And that's what I do a lot of the time when I don't really know what to do next. I will just look at more images. And you know what the image was that really, really helped me? This is a mood board. Does everybody see this silly photo of the flying beef over the grill? That got an idea in my head. And so sometimes if you just look for more photos of the same subject, it's still beef, but the days before I was only doing raw beef. <laughs> so I was like, maybe I'll try barbecue and maybe that will stimulate something. And you know something, it worked because eventually what I ended up with was this view. And so you can see here, I took the barbecue grill, it's right there. And this sounds really dumb, but I saw the heads as being pieces of flying beef. D do you see the correlation? <laughs> so this actually was the basis of that illustration. So sometimes just more image searches because then I started looking at barbecue beef grills <laughs> as a Google search. And I ended up with this one down here at the bottom. And this one, I liked the fire more. I felt like the fire in this one was not very clear. And that sparked something that was way more interesting than anything else I was doing previously. And Anna is asking, I'd love to know your thoughts about making a concerted effort to change your art versus letting your art evolve organically. That's a great question. I think probably what you want is a healthy dose of both. Sometimes there are certain things that I say to myself, okay, here are some things I, I really wanna learn to do. They're very different than what I've done in the past. I think that's always a positive thing because even if it doesn't work out well and you decide, Ugh, I don't like that at all, you've had a different experience. Because one thing I thought about a lot when I was thinking about leaving academia was that I knew I was really unhappy and I knew things were not getting better because they were getting worse. And I thought to myself, I, I don't know if I want to leave. It was very hard for me to make that decision to leave. But ultimately it came down to this, whatever I do next outside of academia, at the very least, it's going to be different. Maybe it's not better, but it's different. And for me, different was way better than just feeling so awful all the time. And so I reasoned to myself, okay, maybe what I do afterwards outside of academia isn't great. Maybe it's not better, but it's different. And to me, that was enough of a compelling reason to give it a shot because I just was so burned out and in a rut. And I do think sometimes those spontaneous decisions are fantastic. And I do think there is value in learning to do both. Learning how to do thumbnails and do all that prep work, but also just saying, hey, I tried this. Oh, that looked cool. Let's go. <laughs> I think you need a balance of both because I don't think one is better at all. They're just different ways of expressing yourself. And when you have more experiences like that, I think your life as an artist gets greatly enriched.
yes, everybody, take advantage, free session of Open Studios chat. You can totally just come and listen. You don't have to speak on voice, but it is fun. Totally up to you guys. So if you want help with that, everybody, you can just tag me in general in the Discord, and I'm happy to help you with that. Melanie is asking, do you have any special brands or types of sketchbooks that you particularly like to use or to recommend, perhaps? Actually, I was just at the art store with my 16-year-old because she needed a sketchbook. And she brought over, I don't have one right here, but she brought over one of those hard board sketchbooks, not, not spiral bound. I don't know what the name is, but you know, that nice clean, like regular book bound. There was one from Canson and there was one from Blick. And I picked up the Canson one. The boards were not straight. They were a little bit warped. And I have to say those types of sketchbooks, the binding always falls apart. So in art school, we used to always just duct tape the edge because we knew it was going to fall apart. <laughs> Those I don't like very much. You know what's my favorite sketchbook? It is Strathmore soft cover sketchbook. And they have different kinds of papers. Like you can get sketch, mixed media, watercolor. I love those sketchbooks so much. They just feel good. I, I don't know, something about the cover that they have is just like nice and soft and also you can easily bend it. It's, it's soft. So you don't have to worry about that. Sometimes I don't like the hardcover ones because I don't have the option. Because sometimes, especially when I'm drawing on site, I will sometimes draw like this, where I like to hold it like that. And, you know, if you have a hardcover, that's much harder to do. And so the soft cover, you can do the same thing, where you can fold it over and draw like that. And also the paper quality is very good in those Strathmore soft cover sketchbooks. The paper quality in the Canson and the Blick, they were not good. I told her not to get them because I just wasn't confident that the quality was there. Lexi says, I'm getting back into my art by trying something new, which is Japanese calligraphy. Is there anyone here who has studied it? I have not, but I think that's amazing. And actually my mother did a lot of Chinese calligraphy as well. It's an incredible art form. So good for you for checking that out. Number one, Subin fan, what advice would you give to young artists? I recently got selected to be a finalist in a youth art competition, but I'm nervous about the stability of doing art as my career in the future. I think you should give it a shot. See what happens because sometimes I think life events almost decide for you. For example, I did have a friend I went to RISD pre-college with and we are really tight, just one of my best friends. So we met when we were 16 and in pre-college, I remember she was so good, tour de force artist, she just, did amazing figurative charcoal drawings. And I guess at the time I just sort of assumed, oh, she's going to be a studio artist. She's so good for sure. And I sort of in my head imagined that the two of us would be studio artists and grow up together in that way. But ultimately she went to a liberal arts university, did not go to art school and she took one art class at the university and said to me, oh, the professor was a jerk. I'm done. And never took an art class again. And I remember thinking to myself, what? You're such an amazing artist. You took one art class and you're done? I was sort of shocked by that because I, I in my head, I always assumed she was going to be the studio artist. But she ended up doing art history, which was a great fit. And now she works in the art world, which is fantastic from a totally different point of view. So I'm not saying that you have to let life events determine things for you, but sometimes it's like you get into a situation and you realize like, wow, I can do this. <laughs> or you have somebody in your life who supports you. And sometimes that's enough of a nudge for you to at least try it. 
because a lot of artists have that worry. So who here at any point or even right now has had that experience where you're worried about the career part, you're worried about whether you'll be able to make a living being an artist because that's a lot of the reasons why students really have a hard time with their parents, students who want to go to art school and their parents won't pay for it. It's unfortunately extremely common. But I oftentimes think that happens because a lot of parents just don't know anything about the field. They don't know the ins and outs of the industry. And oftentimes what happens as a reaction to that is there's this assumption that, oh, it's not going to work. But it's just because they don't know. And let's see. So what I would say, don't make plans right now in terms of what you want to do. Right now, what you need to do as a young artist is to keep learning, make work, make a lot of work, keep observing and picking up concepts. It's way too soon for you to be thinking about career. I mean, I didn't know 20 years ago I'd be doing this. This didn't exist. Being on YouTube was not a career option when I was in high school. And so that's the thing. It's like so many things happen so quickly in the world that chances are whatever industry you think you might want to go into is going to change. There's all kinds of industries that have to make major adjustments. Some, unfortunately, do die away slowly. Unfortunately, that is the case in some situations. So don't worry about career right now. Just learn and make lots and lots of work. And Top Bloke says, I often overthink the concept of practical versus theory. How would you apply that for evolving your artwork? An example would be studying a book like Color and Light, which is by James Gurney, brilliant painter. Should I constantly take notes from these books or should I simply follow along the book by replicating the book's art techniques practically? Do both. I think that there is value in both. I think if you look at my sketchbook, there's some sketches, but honestly, most of my sketchbook is writing. I look at this page. I mean, I have some drawings in here, but a lot of it is writing and taking notes. Of course, do the one that you think is the most fruitful. But the way I see it, it's a way of absorbing the lessons, but in different manners. And it depends on the type of artist you are. Maybe somebody is not very prone to taking notes and maybe that doesn't work for them and that's fine. I think what I like to push is for people to just try a lot of different things. Because if you just keep doing the same thing over and over again, that's a really quick way to have things get really stale as an artist. And I think as an artist, we're just constantly evolving and moving things around. And that's part of being an artist is you're just always changing. And Manette says, still trying to get into comic making, looking for scanners. Not great at taking good photos and feel like a scanner would give me more consistent quality for uploading. It probably would, since probably for a comic, you're not working really gigantic. But oh gosh, it's so confusing. I mean, I'm the type of person, if I have to buy any piece of hardware, I'm on Amazon reading every freaking review of 18 different printers. It's really ridiculous. Alexandria says the quickest quick sketch I can get discernible is a five minute sketch, but a group I belong to does one to two minute sketch time. Any thoughts on how to speed up? First of all, you don't have to. <laughs> Nobody says that you have to work at a specific pace. I can tell you I think one minute is too short. One minute, you can't do anything. Two minutes, I think, is very worthwhile. The other thing is, don't even try 
to make something discernible. You just won't. It does not happen. Nobody can do that. And that's what I find is sometimes people get super frustrated with gesture drawing because they're they're so upset that it doesn't look like a figure. I'm like, it can't. I don't know anybody who can do that. And so once you remove that expectation, it is extremely helpful. Let me show you guys this. Do you see this? That's a gesture drawing. Does it look like a person? No. I mean, if you try hard, <laughs> you might see maybe an elbow. But the whole purpose of a two-minute sketch is not to get something that looks like a figure. It's to capture the personality, the essence. It's just to really quickly sum it up. It's like if you had a novel, 600 pages, and somebody said to you, well, we need something as a tagline, and it can only be one sentence. You got to sum up the whole novel with one sentence. But they do that all the time because for publishers to sell books, they need something <laughs> to tell people what to do. And yet people are not going to read the full novel until they actually decide to read the full novel. So yes, you can speed up. One way you can do that is you can do broader strokes. Like I find a lot of people, what they do is they, they draw like this. And so if you are holding your pencil like this really tight, there's not a lot of maneuverability. I can't go that far. Okay. But usually when I'm doing gesture drawing, I'll hold it like this. And so look, if you do this, you can do big, wide strokes. And so longer, more simple strokes. People try to make it look like a figure you're dead in the water. <laughs> so don't even try it. It's only going to cause you frustration. And Lena says, I was worried about money, went into engineering and later dropped out to go for graphic design. But I always wonder what would have happened if I went into art. You don't have to make art a career for it to be fun. In fact, sometimes for some people, all that business crap makes it really not fun. That's the reason I quit doing portrait commissions because the clients were a nightmare. And I just found myself so frustrated with them and all the demands that afterwards I said to myself, you know what, I would rather be washing dishes because this is stressing me out a lot to the point that it was actually making the painting part really stressful. And so it made what I loved, which was painting, into a very stressful experience. And that's always more unnerving because you're like, oh, this is a thing that I'm supposed to love. And yet it's stressing me out a lot to work with these clients. And so for some people, keeping the art totally separate, not making it a career is sometimes a much better choice. I can also tell you guys, and, and by the way, tell me in the chat who here, maybe now or maybe in the past, has had a goal of being a full-time artist. Because in our Discord, a lot of people will come and say, oh, I, I really want to make a living from my art. And here's the thing. You don't have to. I mean, you can, but I don't think a lot of people realize that being a full-time artist, it's not about if you're a good artist. It's about, did you choose that lifestyle? Because that's what it is. Being a full-time artist is a lifestyle choice. It is not this wonderful utopia where we just get to paint all day you have to do all your accounting. You have to chase people to pay you. You have to be your own accounts manager. It's just a lot of work. If I'm being going to be honest with all of you guys here, when I look at everything I do for ArtProf, okay, I cannot believe I'm saying this, but I think 85% of what I do is marketing. It's that much to sustain living like that. And so sometimes there's this almost fantasy that, oh, if I'm a full-time artist, it means number one, I'm a very good artist. Number two, it means that I'm so accomplished. And number three, it means, oh, I can finally just paint. It's like, no, you can't. <laughs> you have to send nasty emails <laughs> to people to pay you 
which, oh gosh, if I never bothered anyone, I don't think I would ever get paid, ever. And Stephanie says, I remember thinking so many choices were important and forever, but the truth is you're totally allowed to just be open to what the universe brings your way and decide as you go. That is fantastic advice, Stephanie, because it's true. There's so many things that get thrown at you and so many things change along the way. I mean, if you guys had talked to me 20 years ago, okay, when I just first started. So I finished graduate school in 2004 and I got my first college teaching job in 2005. And I was so set that this is my career. I'm gonna be a tenured professor at an art school. I'm gonna win grants and be in museum collections and all that. And I was very bent on that for a long time. And guess what? I threw out all those goals. <laughs> I left academia. Sure, it'd be nice to win a grant, but I'm not worried about it anymore. It's just not important to me for where I am. And, and now I'm here. And that's extraordinary to me. Could I have predicted that I would be teaching online to this incredible global? No, because like I said, it didn't exist. So sure, it's good to plan. But I think Stephanie's right that life is just going to throw stuff at you and you'll react to it because I think that any artist, the choices we make, they are based on what's happening around us. And sometimes we have no choice but to do certain things. In fact, we had this wonderful nanny when my kids were young. And I used to ask her a lot about how being a parent was so stressful and how I'd worry about something really scary happening. And I would say to her, well, if something like that happened that was really awful and stressful with my kids, what would I do? She had the best answer. She said, Clara, you do what you have to do. <laughs> and it's true. Whatever happens, you just do what you have to do. And that is the case in so many parts of life. And I think being an artist as well. Great point from Ellen Doy. Started taking art seriously until I finished my first BA and had been working for a while. I'd say... Starting in art later than others, it gives perspective, so take your time. Oh, there's so many people here who are coming back to art after being away for a long time. If you're one of those people, tell me in the chat if you are somebody who started art later in life, because there's something really wonderful about finding it later, because a lot of people have had like full careers, they've raised kids and everything, and... I just love getting old because you, there's just so many things you just don't care about. <laughs> it's great. June says, third generation Japanese, so have interest in kanji, do some reading and writing, have heard artists can write kanji the best. That is so cool. Japanese is so complicated. <laughs> Such a hard language. I was there in July. Some of you may have seen my Japan pilot for my travel and art show. Still have that as a pipe dream. Don't know if it's ever gonna happen, but we can always dream. So I that was an amazing trip. And this is a great point from Ginger to Alexandria's question earlier about speeding up for gesture drawing. Ginger says speed just comes from practice. Yep. When you have more experience, you become more confident. And when you're confident, because you're not hesitating as much, things are a lot faster. So yes, so figure drawing is so much like athletics. It's exactly like running for the track team. You have to just run and run and run, practice all the time. And then it's like, boom, it's better. <laughs> That's really how it works. There are not a lot of art forms that are like that. There are lots of other materials and subjects, like you can't treat it like that. Figure drawing, I really think you can like you're running laps around and now you're better and now you're winning the meet. Cool. Alexandria says, thanks. I will relax and just let what comes in a time sketch. That's the best you can do. And really sometimes we get in the way of ourselves where we impose limitations on ourselves as artists 
that makes it hard for us to improve. Does anybody here think that they impose things on themselves and, and really ultimately that's the only thing that's holding you back? Because I definitely have had that in the past where I'll just decide preemptively that it's not going to work out. It's like, well, of course it didn't work out. You already made that decision before you even began. Aleda says... Do we have to be an art school graduate to be considered as a pro artist? If not, how can we know when we get to that point? Absolutely not. There are so many artists who are self-taught, who never went to art school, and who are amazing artists. And actually, my professor, Tony Janello, who used to teach at RISD, this was before academia got all stuffy and everything. But he basically got hired as a professor at RISD by like walking into the office and being like, hey, can I have a job? <laughs> and they were like, okay, no search committees, nothing. Because you know something, he doesn't have any degree, never finished undergrad, didn't go to graduate school. And today he could never get hired. They would never do that. But one of the best professors I ever had in my life. And so absolutely not. Tons of people who do that. So in terms of how can we know when we get to that point, the important thing to do is to, number one, figure out which industry you belong in. Because even that is very confusing for some people. Because sometimes there's a perception that, oh, graphic design is this. And then you realize, oh, no, 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 that's industrial design. So you need to know about the field. And that's what we're here to do. And then it really helps to talk to somebody in the field or another professional who knows what they're doing and get their feedback, ask them if the work is comparable to professional work and, and also looking around at the other people in the field doing that work, I also think is very important. But the feedback part out of everything is probably the most important thing because like I said, there's a limit to what you can learn online. Ultimately, you have to go talk to a professional. For example, I think you guys will find this funny. Oh, by the way, trigger warning, because I'm gonna show this yucky wasp nest. Sorry, I should have said that first. Yeah, so if you don't like wasp nest, turn away, because I'm gonna show that right now. So I think some of you guys have seen that I've been creating an imaginary movie based on this disgusting wasp nest. So gross. I hate it. I hate it so much, which is why I'm making art out of it. And so I thought, oh, this will be a great place for me to just play around and do topography and everything. So I started here and Ashley, my pretend art director, who was a seasoned pro, has been helping me. And I haven't released any content on it yet, but I can just tell you guys quickly. So the first thing is that this round she told me they were way, way too dark. So I thought, okay, maybe I'll flip it to the other side. Maybe I'll make it like really bright and try the total opposite. But I wasn't happy with this one. I felt like I just slapped the text on. It wasn't very good. This one I thought was a little bit better because you have the diagonal of the text and then there's a diagonal of this. So I thought that was a little bit better. But then, you know what she told me? And I would never have known this because I'm not a pro. She said the right alignment of the T-H-E is bad. And honestly, I didn't know. I was like, why? Why is it bad? Like, I couldn't understand it. She's like, in general, I don't know if it's a faux pas, but it's just something that they don't like very much. I don't know. I didn't get a thorough explanation from her. But the point is, I did not see that. I'm a professional artist, but I didn't see it because I don't have experience in this field. It's one thing to have experience as an artist, it's another to have experience in a particular context. So actually I went back in and I made the text way bigger because I wanted it to be more dramatic, but I wasn't happy with this. So I did another round because Ashley and I had been talking about, well, how do we get the image and the text to interact more? Because I was treating them very separately. And this one's really bad because I went too far in the other direction where I was trying to make it so the letters look like they were coming out of the holes. 
but number one, it's too dark. And number two, you can barely read it, which is a problem for a movie poster. And so she said, try it again. So I made them bigger. They're still coming out of holes, but not so much. And then she said, oh, this is a little hard to read because the text is the exact same color as the image. I know this looks bad. I have to work on it. But I just tried this. I was like, okay, let's try a different color. This one's a little bit more muted. So this is a really great example, Aleda, that you have to speak to industry professionals. It's really, really important to do that. And our Discord's a great place. I mean, we have a lot of people who are like, yes, I work as a creative director. And I'm like, cool, teach me. <laughs> so these kinds of experiences are very important. And Jen says, people say, quote, it's really hard to have a career as an artist. But my thought is everything is hard. That's so true. I feel bad for people who are in the performing arts. I think that's way more competitive. When I think about the reasons people don't get an acting gig, it's like, oh yeah, you're too short. <laughs> like, that's why you didn't get the role. Or, oh, your, your ears are too round. I mean, it's always something really weird like that. And you just imagine how much you have to be willing to stick that out because Annalee Ashford, who is, who was playing Mrs. Lovett on Sweeney Todd Broadway, I saw some TikTok where she said that she was auditioning for five years before she got anything. Can you imagine five years of auditions and nothing? I think a lot of people would be done after a year, but she stuck it out five years. And look at her now. She's a star. She's incredible. I saw her live in September. So it's true. It's going to be hard no matter how fantastic you are because circumstances, unfortunately, oftentimes don't have a lot to do with how good somebody is. I can't tell you how many times it's just pure nepotism. I mean, there's a reason we have the term nepo baby, right? I mean, it's the exact same thing. The art world has its own nepo babies. And in academia, people are hiring their partners. It's just like, oh my gosh. Yeah. And soon Daria is asking, is having an artist website important? I think it's becoming less and less important. My website for real, I don't think I updated it for two years. <laughs> and I think it was a couple of months ago where I, just for me, I just wanted to see my work better organized because I wanted to sort of step back and look at my portfolio of pieces. So here, I'll show you guys my website. But there's a reason why I got away with not updating it for two years is because websites are not that important anymore. Usually if I go to an artist's website, I'll go once and that's it. Maybe if I was like working with them, I'd go one or two more times, but it's really not a place where you get engagement or where you would get any traction. To me, a website, is like a file cabinet, right? It's like all your important papers that you don't want to get rid of, but you're not looking at them every day. Social media is the party now, but this was very helpful for me because First of all, I wanted to have a page for illustration in case I want to get hired <laughs> for freelance work. So this was very important to have just a page of my illustration. But it was also really nice to look at, for example, my Bread Fairy series, which I had done for a while. It was sort of here and there. And you know something, when I saw this page with all of them put together, I was like, wow, they, they really do belong to each other because I did these so haphazardly over a few years that they always felt like one-off pieces to me. But you know what? When you look at them together, you realize that they do have connections with each other. I mean, that's the bread fairy's taste. I mean, it comes across. These images are so different from each other, but they do belong as a group. And I never thought about this group that way. And so seeing the website page really helped me with that. And same thing with my plein air work. And that again is also another place where it's just like all over the place 
Portugal, Japan, <laughs> whatever. But then it's like I see them together and wow, it starts to make some sense. So it is nice for that. But I would say if you are stressed out about, oh my gosh, I need to have a website, don't be. You'd actually be better off just starting an Instagram to skip the whole website thing. I would say if you are working professionally as an artist and you um, are going to say have a gallery show or something like that, you need a website for that for sure. But if you're just getting started and are not sure exactly where you're headed, totally okay to skip the website. Who here has a website? And tell me, when is the last time you updated it? And do you think they matter so much anymore? Because I really think they don't matter at all the way that they used to. And fantastic. Yeah. June is 63. Carrie started at 42. Chuck got the BFA in the 80s, jumped back into art in 2024. Mukundandri, 63, still a beginner. Lexi is 31. Jay Patrick started at 69. Ryan started at 39. Isn't that fantastic? I love that, everybody, that you're all coming to it from a different point of view. Yeah, and Anna says, many of my students are retirees who are taking up art again after another career in family life. I think it's wonderful to reinvent yourself multiple times. I have so much respect for that because a lot of younger students will talk to me as if they must pick one career and that's the end. <laughs> and some of the most brilliant people I know changed careers. I knew somebody who was an artist, did their MFA, and then became a baker. And she's an amazing baker. So yeah, not that important. Adesua says, I'm 20 in college, recently was reached out by an illustration agency for representation. Do you think I should wait or take this opportunity while still in art school? I don't have the specifics of your situation, Adesua, so take this with a grain of salt because sometimes the specifics change things. But I can tell you that the good agencies probably wouldn't do that. Or if they did, it would be because somebody referred them to you. It's sort of like, has anybody here gotten Instagram DMs where they say, come be a part of this exhibition. We're going to publish you in this. In the art world, usually when somebody comes to you offering something, that's usually a big red flag. Because there are galleries that do that. They're called vanity galleries. And basically they charge you money to show at their gallery, which you never ever want to do. No legitimate gallery would ever charge you something like that. And the fact that they would just offer it without any type of conversation, that's also a little iffy. So based on what little information I have, I would say probably not, but you can certainly ask for some more specifics. If they say you have to pay a fee up front, don't do it. That's always a sign of a scam. Margaret says, didn't start showing my art till I married at 50. My husband saw what I could do, encouraged me to take it seriously. Having a good support system is awesome. I love that you shared that, Margaret. Our partners are so important. I mean, I can't imagine having a partner who thought less of my career or didn't encourage me. I think that would be devastating. So tell your husband, good job. <laughs> Just is saying, how do I be content with my current progress rather than pushing myself too hard to paint better? I've been painting with watercolor for two and a half years. I would say, try not to measure your progress. And that's hard. We all want to, because we're, we're trying so hard to improve and we want to see it. We want some concrete evidence that, yes, it's happening. But the thing is, true progress doesn't happen quickly. And so I usually tell people, listen, if you want to measure your progress, look at stuff you were doing two years ago. Don't look at the stuff you're doing now. I think sometimes I work with people and 
they work on something and a week later they say, why is this not better? The last painting I did was so much better than the one I'm doing now. That's because it doesn't work that way. <laughs> Nobody just keeps improving. You're gonna go up and down many, many times. So Jess, I think maybe it's a question of, can you shift your mindset to something else? Because chances are maybe getting worried about that is just frustrating and th there's no real solution to it because you won't see that improvement that quickly. And keep working, keep pushing yourself, but don't worry about progress right now, just in the moment. I mean, I need that advice too. <laughs> I'm really bad at staying in the moment. And Lena's asking if one is doing figure and portrait 10 minute studies, how long would you suggest each study session should be? Lena, I don't know if you have a model posing, but whenever I work with a model, I always gave them a break every 20 minutes, guaranteed. So I would do 20 minute posing, usually 10 minute break. Some places think 10 minute break is too long, but I disagree. I think if you're a model and you're working a long class, you need that time. I mean, I've been at sessions where they give the model five minutes, which I think is too short. I think they need a little bit longer than that. I mean, there's some people who are so rude at figure drawing who complain that, oh, the model's break is too long. Like, I really hate that. When students did that in my class, I would shut it down so quickly. So I think most people for a session to be productive, probably two hours is what you would need. Three is better, but two hours I would feel pretty good about. I have not seen the Dune movie. <laughs> and yes, my Dune movie poster has been sitting around. I haven't had time, plus I'm going to New York next week, but I'm excited. It looks really cool from, I mean, I've watched the trailers like 18 times because I was working on the poster. Honestly, Anna, I think I have trypophobia, the wasp nest. I, I oh, it, it just sends this disgusting ugh, goosebump shiver up my spine. I, I don't know what the requirements are for trypophobia, but I definitely like ugh, feel really, really gross. <laughs> Julius is asking, I'm on my junior year and BFA painting, feel like I'm lagging behind all my peers already getting into galleries and I still feel like I don't have a solid portfolio for it. Okay. Again, I don't have all the information, Julius, but not every gallery experience is a good one. Just because somebody is doing stuff with a gallery doesn't always mean it's going to add to your experience. And in fact, sometimes, and I've heard many stories, artists getting into gallery situations and then really regretting it later because You'd hope all the galleries are professional, but they're not. Some of them can be horrible. Some of them really take advantage of artists and it's terrible and very upsetting. So just because they're in some gallery thing, it doesn't mean that it's a great experience. They may act like it is, but I know people conceal information because they don't want other people to know. They just want people to know I'm in a gallery. They don't want to hear that, oh yeah, the owner was a jerk, right? And also, Julius, you're not lagging behind. Everybody's on a totally different timeline than everybody else. And there's no race because everybody ends up doing something different. And if you're not ready for it, you're not ready for it. And that's okay. It's okay to have time and patience and not rush into everything. I see people doing that all the time where I'm like, hey, slow down, okay? Because again, I know people who have had success that came to them very late in life. For example, you hear about all these like art stars, like, oh, they just got out of Yale and the and they won a MacArthur or whatever, right? There's always a few people like that. But there's a lot of people who don't do that and who come apart it from another way. And I know it's much more glamorous to have a meteoric rise into the art world, but the fact of the matter is that doesn't happen to a lot of people. That's definitely the exception. So you're not behind Julius. 
you're doing different things and maybe your patience is going to pay off in a way that theirs will know will not. And yeah, this is it. Ginger says so much of the arts is just being stubborn and not giving up. Yeah. Do you see why I'm so well suited? <laughs> I'm really, really stubborn. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Sorry. I'm kind of behind in the comments, everybody. Anna's asking, you ever going to do more bread fairy work or have you completely moved on? I might. It's not on my plate at the moment, but I think it's probably work that's just always there because actually I've been shooting lots of bread fairy footage because I'm over at her house and we're just making things. And I'm like, I should document this. And so I haven't made work from that, but to me, documenting the process is part of that. And so who knows, maybe I will. Paige says, what methods do you use to get your work art in the world? I started by using Behance and Adobe, but I'm super nervous about using social media. Paige, if you could tell me what field, because social media really depends on the field you're in. Behance, from what I've seen, is largely for graphic designers. And there's other fields as well. But I know some people who are very successful in their field and they're not on social media at all. So it really depends on what you want to do. And Luren says, I have a website, it's very unloved. and <laughs> hasn't been updated in years. I used to be there a lot when I had a blog. Hey, I had a blog, who here had a blog? I never imagined that the word blog would sound so prehistoric, but it is now. Then I followed bad advice about what my blog should be and I fell out of love. That happens sometimes when you are hearing all this pressure from people. Yeah, a lot of people are doing Substack now as a subscription-based email service. We don't have Substack, but if you pledge on Patreon, Lauren, Jordan, and I all have a monthly email that we send out. So that's $5 a month if anybody is interested. Zayden says, have a website, hasn't even gone public yet. I have a general WordPress that I haven't updated since last year. I, I think I would agree <laughs> based on all of what people are saying is that, yeah, I don't think you guys really need to worry about that anymore. I think we are probably okay without websites. And... All right, good. I'm so glad a web developer <laughs> jumped in. Chuck says, I've been a web developer for 25 years, so I think a website's still important. You don't want to be at the whim of a billionaire who buys a platform. Yes, that, that is very true. And we learned that the hard way when our Instagram got hacked. And it's terrifying. I mean, I spent years building our Instagram and to have it just disappear was so scary. So that's really difficult. I know a lot of people had that experience with Twitter because some people had huge followings on Twitter and just, I love Twitter as well. I didn't feel like for me, it was a very big loss because I never really had a big following over there. So in some ways I was like, oh, okay, maybe, maybe it was good that I never put that much effort into Twitter. And Tanner's asking, when was the last time you've done a self-portrait? Probably for my monthly snail mail. Actually, I have my monthly snail mail here. I'm not going to spoil it for the people that get it. But this is my monthly snail mail where I send out a postcard and I write everybody a handwritten note and there's an artwork behind it. And so you get that once a month and it's really fun. So I remember I did a really quick self-portrait sketch for one of the snail mails. It was pretty fun. I hadn't drawn myself in a really long time. It's like, wow, I look really old. These are very different than my art school portfolio uh, self-portraits. Brian says, getting website, just getting website costs money. I'm not sure that is important right now, especially when I have Instagram. You can totally live without the website for now. And you know, when you need it, you'll get it. I, I don't think websites are 
they're not as pressing. Because the thing about social media that I've noticed is that when I meet somebody, let's say at a networking event or something like that, I'm very, very likely to just screenshot their Instagram. That's usually what I do and I keep it there. But the thing is, if somebody gives me a business card, I'm very likely to lose it. So Instagram is really helpful. And what website too, it's like somebody would need the link and giving them the link is not as easy as having them find you on Instagram. So everybody knows we do not do Discord chats after the Friday night hangouts. And for those of you who are wondering, there is no live stream on Sunday because I'm just so behind <laughs> on my work and I'm going to New York on Tuesday. I was like, I'm going to die if we have a live stream on Sunday. So I will be doing a lot of stuff in New York City. I'll be posting like crazy. So don't worry, I will not disappear. In fact, you'll probably see more of me from all of the travel vlogs. Join our Patreon group. This is such a lovely, supportive group of people. You get to share your art in weekly voice sessions. I, I write very long, nerdy critiques, and it's a wonderful place to make art friends. Thank you so much to our incredible top Patreon supporters, many of whom have been with us for years. Thank you all. You are all what makes this possible. Art Prof is a podcast. It's available on Spotify and also on iTunes. And subscribe for more tutorials, critiques, and business tips because, oh my gosh, Pom Pom is so loud. You guys have no idea. He's like, we've been calling him the opera singer because he's like the soprano. He's just like screeching all day. I don't know what his deal is. I think he's just stronger now. But anyway, that, that's, that's the new gay thing update, everybody. Thank you so much for watching. I'll see you next time. Bye.